Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> You had to look that one I up. Could, I couldn't get it out. I tried. Well, good try. Okay, we'll try that again. Namaste, podcast world. Namaste, Rob. <laughs> we welcome to another wonderful edition of FNO InsureTech International. International. Edition. And Lee reminded me that we've been on an international tear. Yeah. Haven't we? We've hit Germany, yeah, Israel, Israel. and today India. India. Yeah, and how exciting! I, I threw out my whole uh, my whole list of Hindi words, and I don't even know that our guest speaks Hindi. But right, that's the, my best guess. And Namaste came up in Google Translate as the um, uh, as for hello is Namaste. Well, I have heard that before. I mean, isn't it fun to talk to these people all around the globe? I don't even know what time it is there. I didn't even ask them what time it is. But I mean, yesterday, we actually did two of these podcasts back to back. Uh, I want to say it was yesterday. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the day before. (laughs) Maybe it was the day before, but it was Israel. Today, India. Mm -hmm. I mean, insurance is big. Insurance Insurance and technology is everywhere. And these people that we're talking to... Uh, are around the globe and just think, right? In my little world, insurance, before we started doing this podcast, insurance was here in the States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now I understand how it's influenced and driven by the entire globe. There are these intelligent people all over from different walks of lives that are coming to make the best product possible. And I love that we get to talk to them on the podcast. And we get to say words like namaste, and we're not even in a yoga class. We have Rahul Nawab on with us today. And Rahul is the practice leader of insurance analytics at EXL. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating company. This is a big company. Big it's company. A, it's, a, it's publicly traded, and it's very, very large. They have all mm-hmm. these data scientists they have mm-hmm. analytics, and they are changing the way that insurance is, is worked, uh, pre, predictive analytics, machine learning, all these things. And we're going to get to talk to him today about what he's doing, where he came from, and, and what are some of the other pillars that they're working in, not just insurance, but what else? I'm very excited to get to talk to him. This is a, a real data-led business that is in many that works in many verticals and but what they're doing in the insurance vertical is really really important it's really important spot or point on the insurance ecosystem map right that um that we cover on our podcast and so to talk to people that not only are leveraging data but are also but are also using it to create insights to help lead the insurance industry, whether it's carriers or reinsurance or insure techs. 
um, to help lead them forward. That's a really important piece of the ecosystem. And so we wanted to cover that today. That's a great way. I mean, that's a great way to say it. And that's exactly what, what we have here. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, let's get to our guest today, Rahul Nawab, the practice leader of insurance analytics at EXL. Hey, everybody. We are here with our guest who's coming to us from a very long way away. In fact, we've had a lot of guests lately who are coming to us from the other side of the world. And yeah, they are. Today is no exception. We have Rahul Nawab, Practice Leader of Insurance Analytics from EXL. Welcome to the show, Rahul. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Rob and Lee. Appreciate it. We are excited to have you. I was saying that you're here from the other side of the world. Tell us where you are today. So I'm from a town called Ahmedabad in India, where the way the world knows our town is through a gentleman named Gandhi, who gave India freedom or helped get freedom for India. Wow. You can walk right where he walked. I believe we do that every day. Yeah. That's very <laughs> exciting. That's very exciting. Maybe we'll get to talk a little bit about Gandhi later in the episode. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's start by telling us what EXL is and tell us what a practice leader of insurance analytics does at EXL. Thanks, Rob. The I'll start with EXL. EXL is a organization publicly traded on NASDAQ, ticker symbol is EXLS. And it's been in business uh, now for greater than 20 years. It started out as a operations organization. And in 2006, they acquired an analytics company called Inductus to start their analytics practice. Ever since then, we believe we are probably one of the largest offshore analytics organization worldwide. We have about 4,500 data scientists working on behalf of our clients. We focus very heavily in typically just four key industry verticals. And then there are other areas that, of course, you know, we would support. But insurance is one of the key verticals that we support and focus on. The practice leader role at uh, EXL under the insurance analytics vertical is essentially managing the PNL, which means growing the top line revenue along with that growing profitability, uh, which then feeds into, because we are a publicly traded organization, uh, ensuring that we are doing our bit uh, to support the company's top line and bottom line growth. What that entails is working with our clients. So if we, if we peel the onion, identifying client demands, understanding different aspects of what the client is demanding today, but more importantly, you know, the, the hockey analogy is where the puck will be, right? So what are they going to ask us later? How are we preparing today to be there when they ask the question? So is your job mostly dealing with just the insurance vertical or with the other main verticals as well? Yeah, so I, it, it sort of encompasses one other area, which is our direct-to-consumer marketing business where I'm a co-lead. So there is another gentleman who leads it on a day-to-day -day basis. So we co-lead both the verticals. That vertical touches other areas as well. So uh, it's like a horizontal, we would like to call it, where we service okay. banking clients, insurance clients, and fintech, insurtechs, healthcare, all verticals from a sort of politically correct way of thinking. 
What are the four main verticals you handle? You said insurance, where I assume finance is a part of that. What are the other main verticals? So main verticals for in ADXL are um, banking, insurance, then there's a vertical around retail media. And the fourth one is sort of a catch-all, you know, everything else, right? Uh, and, and of course, there is a healthcare vertical that we, we also have. Uh, but when you when you peel the onion, I mean, from an external looking in perspective, there's the financial services, healthcare, retail, and others. So whenever a client reaches out to you, are they sending you their data and asking you to create analysis on it and to run reporting to show them what it is? What is the client actually using your service for? The, the reason clients come to us in today's environment, and in the past it was different, but in today's environment are for uh, three key reasons. The first one is there are questions out there that they may not be able to answer because of whatever reason. So strategic reasons, or they would like to get an external point of view, right? So where our consultants, our analysts, uh, and, and our data scientists would be able to pick up the question and create value where they can support the client. So I'll give you an example. We are working uh, with a client right now on image analytics. Now that's a, that's a topic that is top of mind of insurance companies right now. A lot of progress is being made uh, across the globe, mostly from a technology perspective, where images can be analyzed at scale now, and uh, insurance organizations are trying to see how to use all these images that are available to ease the customer's pain areas like claims processing. How can I pre-process claims by just looking at an image and uh, understanding what the damage is? And hence, if it is a less than, for example, a $50,000 claim where I know the roof's image pre and post, and I can tell that it was caused because of a catastrophic event that happened two weeks back, I can pre-process the claim. Now, when you peel this, there are lots of data required. There's lots of images to be processed and to be sort of analyzed in an automated fashion. And this is a very, very interesting question that we would be helping a client solve. They might give us images. We might bring our own images and uh, go back to them and say, yeah, you know, here's a, here's a solution set that you can deploy. Are you all developing your own technology to do that image reading or are you working with external insure techs as well? So I would say we are doing both. And that's sort of the, the mechanism, the future uh, as it stands today. We scan the market for leaders who might be in a leadership position in terms of what they've achieved. We are always working on this internally as well. So, for example, for this image piece, I mean, we are partnering with a very strong insure tech out of Israel called Geox, and uh, we'll test them out and see how they do, right? And if it works out, we'll, uh, you know, it's it's better to partner than to build sometimes in in these types of areas um, mm-hmm. and, and leverage it to accelerate, right? So our goal is to enable our clients to accelerate their journeys uh, where, where they can see the value of what, uh, what the overall results are. So from what I, I'm hearing, a majority of what you do is based on photos and machine learning and recognizing. Is that the, the core of the business or are there other aspects you also work on? Right. So to complete the thought, Lee, thanks. 
That's sort of the one area that's more consultative, more high-end type of work. The second uh, tends to be from a staff augmentation perspective, right? So, and the the reason that works even in today's world is there is a dearth of talent uh, worldwide uh, of individuals, data scientists, and data engineers who understand data, who understand business, and can help businesses sort of unearth value from the data, right? Yeah. That becomes the second chunk of our business. And the third chunk is going to be in extremely niche skill sets. So I'll give you an example of uh, actuarial, right? So actuaries are um, a, a very sort of defined roles, very professional individuals, and there are only a handful of actuaries worldwide, right? You need to go through the training. It's like being a doctor or a lawyer. Right. Uh, and that's an area which is going undergoing a, a massive transformation where we are seeing, as an example, a lot of change happening. If you think about the actuary of the past, they used to have a lot of spreadsheets and manual data loading, and that is being disrupted. Well, so I'm just starting to think here, you must have seen a giant increase in business because everything that we hear about nowadays is analytics, machine learning, and how can we settle claims faster and how can we get more information out of these photos? Is that something you're seeing in in exponential growth in business? If you look at our financials, I mean, of course, we are beating our numbers and hence, you know, and we are publicly traded, so most of the information that I can share is going to be somewhat publicly available, right? And and I think sure. that's it's part of what we are seeing. And the market is sort of saying, look, you know, like you, Lee, I mean, why can't you do more? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's essentially our question is, is how can we gather even more out of the demand set that is uh, that is out there right now? And that's a question that I wanted to ask is, give us a brief case study, an anonymous case study that you can about the kind of cutting edge stuff you're doing today. I'll uh, take a different case study than the image one that we talked about, right? Uh, because I feel like that's that's extremely interesting as well. It, it, is, it is where um, there is the future uh, is out there. The other area that we are quite a bit focused on is this area called actuarial transformation. And what that is, is when you think about the actuarial role, it's a role which is extremely important, extremely strategic because all the pricing, all the financials are being signed off by actuaries, right? In an insurance organization. So it's a very critical role, but it is prone with a lot of manual tasks and ripe for technological interventions. I say that it's it's possible now, was not possible, call it even three, four years back. And the reason is the compute power that is available these days is cheap. I can do thousands of calculations and run spreadsheets over spreadsheets, and it's cheap to run right now versus how it was before. And, and that too, as a code, not as a spreadsheet, right? The second is the advent of uh, these coding languages that are a lot more intuitive than they used to be. I grew up in coding in SQL and in uh, C++ where uh, if you forget a comma or a semicolon, you could actually crash the whole whole system <laughs> and in mainframes, right? Yeah. 
now you've got Python and uh, R and most of the code that you can imagine is available in libraries all over, uh, all over the internet. And your job is to architect a code. Now, what that is doing is the actuarial organizations across the globe are coming to the table saying, look, you know, I got uh, 100 actuaries, for example, who are, call it 50% of their task is manual. How can I bring down that manual task so that they're more strategic? There's a lot more strategic impact that they can have uh, at, and, and self-learn some of these things so that it's, um, it's happening uh, without, without guidance. But then also provide me with the documentation, provide me with the proof points, provide me with all these other things that uh, happen so that when a regulator comes knocking, I have everything ready, right? So there's a lot of accelerators that we, that we have that, that enable an actuarial organization do this at scale without um, even anybody sort of touching a spreadsheet. You talk about impact on a P&L, what comes out of the actuarial function in an insurance company is the foundation, right? Because Absolutely. the more they get it right, the better they get it right, <laughs> the, the more money there should, should be at the bottom. We're very interested in what you were saying about claims because we're in the claims business and that's all very interesting. Absolutely. And, 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 and as it relates to claims, right? I mean, the other, I think there is another interesting example that is more and more evolving. I would call it because I've seen a lot of solutions, but uh, nothing that sort of hopefully solves it. But th these are the claims notes and the text mining around it. And how do you auto process it? So the first part is, there are structured notes, unstructured notes that need to be analyzed. But before that, they need to be coded in a database. How do you extract the right set of insights, right set of information to process a claim and auto-adjudicate, right? I mean, that's sort of the holy grail uh, of, of claims. Uh, how much can I auto-adjudicate so I'm saving, right. uh, saving time of, uh, of a person having to go to site and process and validate everything that's out there, right? Now that that is something that uh, you know. How do you build a self-learning model that continuously takes in these structured, unstructured data sources, uh, handwritten notes, and um, adjudicates? And how do you prove that it's correct, right, uh, at scale? Now that's a that's a problem statement that I, we, we we work extensively on. Um, and, and insurance carriers are at different stages of, uh, I would call it point of arrival versus point of departure, right? Uh, how much are they able to uh, adjust and adapt to this versus continuously testing that, you know, is it working or not, right? Tell us about some of the things in this regard that are exciting you, the potential applications and capabilities that are exciting you on the claims side. I feel the claims experience needs a revamp. And, and here's what I mean by that. You and I are consumers and we, our expectations as of now is instant results of any question that we have. And we've been taught this by an Amazon, a Google, a Facebook, um, Uber Eats or Uber, right? Um, I did not like the service. I'm going to file a claim and quickly I'm going to get a refund or uh, right. a reason why I did not get a refund. 
the insurance companies are far from it, right? Now, what excites me is the opportunity to redefine those customer journeys as it relates to claims to say, how do I auto adjudicate? How do I create these claims journeys that are painless rather than painful as of today? It starts by remembering what insurance I have, what is my number, because the, the unfortunate bit about claims is uh, it's not a happy time that a consumer is going through when they're sort of uh, going through the claims process. How do you make that experience so that it is as painless as possible? So I think there are carriers out there, there are insure techs out there that are working. I mean, Geox is a great example. They're processing images so that at least your property claims or your auto claims, you don't need to give images. They're already capturing images that our Google map, a Google map is capturing or you know, GIC type organization is giving and taking on a regular basis. But, but how can we reimagine these journeys to make the, and help carriers go through these processes uh, rapidly? And I'm sure you are hearing this across your podcast. It's not something that's new. If you can crack the code about claims and make it easier, that would be, uh, um, or 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 more Amazonish, to 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 use a phrase. That would be amazing. But like as two practitioners, Lee and I are frontline, if you will, practitioners of in the claims industry today. Our company, Alacrity Solutions, mm-hmm. is a provider of claim services to the insurance industry, and we are still many times very busy working claims as we have worked them for a long time at the speed that we've worked them for a long time. Wouldn't you agree with that, Lee? Yeah. There's been changes and improvements. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're a, a, a standard person who, who never thinks about insurance, and I'm talking about in the U.S., because I don't know other markets, international markets, but in the U.S., and you never think about insurance, and all of a sudden you have an insurance claim. Like you said, Rahul, you're thinking in terms of, well, if I if I want to return something on Amazon, I make three clicks and I return it. Or if I have a, a, a problem, I make three clicks and I report my problem and they take care of it, if I have a claim, if you will. But in our world... It's a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. If you can crack that code, you're talking about an amazing revolution. Are these the things that you're thinking about? Absolutely. I mean, the, so the good news is that uh, every insurance carrier that we, that we partner with is thinking about these things, right? So let's make sure that we put that in context. Um, they are thinking about exactly what you said uh, because they're worried. I mean, what if Amazon gets into insurance? Who knows, right? Um, Correct. They're going to crack it and uh, suddenly they'll be behind uh, the eight ball, right? The current uh, behemoths. And they're thinking about the journeys. The, what would it take to 
sort of unpack an extremely regulated industry and make it easy for customers to claim, frankly, what they have paid for, right? Buying insurance so that you don't have to pay as much when there is a need. And the issue is that you, you make payments, you're in a happy zone. When you want to make a claim, you're actually not in a happy zone. Uh, and the insurance carriers, on the other hand, are uh, creating barriers to a consumer, not in reality, to uh, process that claim because they are regulated and they're asking the questions. And by, uh, that's the time when I learned what is included and not included in my insurance. Correct. And what are the implications of it, right? Unless we make that experience easy from the beginning, it's difficult. So there are insure techs out there that are saying, look, you know, you load up all your uh, insurance information and I'll tell you here is what's included or not included. I mean, it starts from there, right? To say, uh, okay, you know, you have these 50 insurances and in these 50 insurances, here are the coverages that you have in a simpler way than having to read the 100-page document. Uh, and the footnotes in English rather than in uh, legalese, right? And then when a claim happens, here is what you need to do, right? So you're essentially just taking that user experience out of the insurance carrier and putting it on a different platform. Now, eventually, the carriers will partner with these types of insure techs to ensure that uh, they can integrate those experiences into their journeys. That would be an ideal state, right? I mean, I have a claim or, or for example, there are floods in Australia. Wouldn't it be great for the area that is flooded, the individuals to get their claims even before they make a claim? To say here, I know your house was worth X, you're covered for Y, here's the money before they call in to make a claim. Now, an Amazon would do it because um, they would say, yeah, you know, you returned, the you returned my product, here is your money back, right? Or um, a fintech might do it to say, there is a price drop on a thing that you purchased, I'm going to fund you the remaining. And mm -hmm. I'm going to fight with sort of the, the retailer and get my, my cut. So, and I hope that happens, right? Is it inevitable that a giant like, Amazon will get into the insurance market, even, you know, being more specific, the, the property and casualty market. I mean, is it inevitable that that is going to happen? What do you think? So Walmart is, I think, trying to make a bank, right? That yeah. seems like a more natural place where Agreed. you're buying from me, I'm going to cover you and you don't need, and I'll lend you money to buy more. Mm -hmm. Um, Insurance is sort of an afterthought for small ticket items. So for them to get into PNC is probably a little bit more of a stretch, but you can't put anything beyond Amazon. Right. Uh, <laughs> they work with the carriers guys, right? I mean, for their AWS platform, that's a hot ticket yeah. item in, uh, in insurance these days and PNC especially. And they have the data on their uh, systems. I mean, so... For them to say, oh, you know, this is the processing that is happening, not to even look at the data, but just to look at the activity and say, ah, you know, this is something that uh, we can pull off. Let's talk about data for a minute. Talk to us about data and the state of data in the insurance industry today. Yeah, we work with data quite a bit as part of our direct uh, marketing engine and uh, 
working with our clients. There are there are sets of data that are known, right? So that you have to work with for a claims. You're you're geocoding. You're um, you're looking at the CAD events and you're looking at some of the external data that's available. The interesting bits that are happening that we see are the social signals more upstream than downstream, right? Um, uh, but it's it's possible to use. I mean, don't quote me on the regulatory side because, but, but there are pictures that, uh, and I don't know if you guys do this, right? But from a social media perspective, uh, if you really wanted to check, uh, there are ways to check on fraud, right? Uh, someone might have right. taken a picture of a house that is perfect and uh, you can actually use it these days, right? Right. As, as a evidence. So um, we, we see a lot of social signals. We see a lot of non-traditional data sources making way into claims, especially so the GIC images, the, the text sort of notes that could be used more across industries that are used to train models and, and um, doctor's notes or APS notes. And um, I, I think uh, when, when we think about what used to be the case, there is 240-odd million uh, U.S. consumers. Your traditional sources of data gets you about 6,000-odd variables, uh, like a TransUnion or an Experian or a... Um, uh, Equifax on credit and non-credit. And now we believe that uh, the non-traditional sources, the digital signals, the web data, the cookie data, how are you tra- traversing the web? I mean, that is enormous, right? So the 6,000 is dwarfed. Uh, when you multiply 240 million by 6,000 and you, whatever you come up with, you multiply that by a million is probably the amount of data that's out there uh, that, that insurance carriers are trying to deal with. Uh, and, and find ways, uh, interesting, quick ways to analyze. Right. You know, I'd like to turn the corner here a little bit and ask about COVID and the impacts of the global pandemic that we've all experienced. During this pandemic, many companies had to go to a work from home. They had to go to a different way of doing business. And I assume that your company is no different. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about how this pandemic impacted EXL and maybe some of the lessons you learned from it. Yeah, I think we pivoted quite quickly. And and I think uh, the pandemic has had an effect on all of us. And and working from home is like working all the time versus working from office, which was defined. (laughs) So... We are figuring out the workforce impact. I mean, there is the initial part of the COVID and and we are almost at a one year anniversary. So uh, it's quite interesting to think about what we were doing last year around the same time, right? And I think we were very fortunate that our CEO Rohit is is a visionary and uh, we we planned uh, quite well, which meant, I mean, for us, it's a very tricky situation, uh, guys, right? I mean, we'd work on client data. We have, uh, uh, if you had come to our offices, which I'm hoping someday you do, uh, we would have locations that are walled for each client that are separated. And for us to overnight, within five days, we were operational from home. Uh, to pull that off required um, yeah, pretty massive effort. 
in the middle of uh, lockdown in India, especially. So the workforce reacted amazingly. I mean, we actually went into curfew uh, extremely quickly, especially in India and in the Philippines, where we have a ton of workforce, mm-hmm. uh, which meant there was nobody who could be allowed even on the streets, right? So we had to work very fast to get ourselves work from home enabled. Uh, from that point onwards, I think we had good client support to get all the uh, approvals in place to get it, get ourselves ready for it. Since then, look, from a business perspective, the 2019 entire year was very interesting. Uh, I think we tracked probably better than uh, I would call it the NASDAQ in terms of there was a dip that was expected. Q2, Q3 was a dip and then there was a U-shaped or a V-shaped recovery, a swoosh. They're calling it a Nike-shaped uh, recovery. Uh-huh. Um, and I think uh, you know we, we tracked uh, on the same curve, but we were better than probably the rest of the industry. So we did see a recovery and uh, sort of our Q1 numbers are, uh, are public now. And uh, I think the Wall Street has reacted well to our numbers and how we have recovered. So Raul, I want to ask a little bit about you before we end. Uh, strangely enough, you are not the first person who came on with a chemical engineering degree and ended up in, in something different. So tell me a little bit about you. How did you end up in this role? What are some of your experiences leading up to this? Hey, thanks for asking that. Yeah. Um, uh, what happens is, and, and there's a reason, right? Uh, you go into chemical engineering thinking you love it. You quickly realize that mass transfer and thermodynamics may not be as intuitive as you thought. <laughs> and, uh, there are career changes that uh, you might need. So I, I ended up making many career moves. Uh, I had a paper science master's as well, which was my second mistake. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> engineering uh, is still great. Uh, okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What I, I've never heard of a master's degree in paper science. What is paper science? Yeah, I mean, it's the white paper you use and uh, how do you make it? Uh, there are about seven really great universities in the U.S. Uh, NC State is one of them. That's amazing that you have. Here you are, a digital guy, right? You don't touch paper, but you have a master's degree in paper. It, it took me just one visit to a paper mill. I don't know if you've gone near a paper mill, but you would know by about 60 miles out uh, that there is a paper mill coming up to say that, look, you know, this is a, this is a, another bad choice I made in my uh, educational career. Uh, but thankfully, Capital One uh, hired me. They saw the other side of uh, the logic and the analytical bit of engineering. Right. And that's right. how I started my career uh, into analytics. And I worked for U.S. Bank and then moved back to India to start a company called IQR Consulting um, uh, in about 2009 timeframe. And then we sold it to EXL in 2016. So that's been my journey. And at EXL, uh, I've been the practice leader since uh, 2017. That's amazing. I mean, it's always fun to listen to somebody's journey. And so whenever they whenever they bought the company, you just stayed on. I mean, is it the same type of thing you were doing or is this a different role altogether? So it's always uh, something similar, something different, which keeps you interested, challenged and excited, right? So 
yes, I'm still in the analytics space, managing an organization and the, the new parts were the direct to consumer marketing bit, uh, a little bit of the insurance bit, uh, which is a wider scope. Uh, and uh, in the past, uh, you know, we were a smaller organization. Right now we are a lot bigger <laughs> and, and I'm part of a bigger entity. So yeah, I stayed on. Uh, I thought I'd stay on for a, for a year, two years. And uh, here I am four or five years later. Funny how that can happen. As we come to a close, let's give you a minute to talk about what the future holds for the EXL insurance analytics business. Talk to us for a minute briefly about what you see there. Insurance analytics business at EXL is is at a moment where I feel the future is extremely exciting. Our inside outlook, uh, we have very strong capabilities that we have built internally that is resonating really well in the marketplace. The EXL connections and the fact that EXL has a lot of insurance clients and um, their, their ability to for us to impact them in ways that they are seeing the future, right? So things like the image analytics piece or helping them with uh, transforming claims it is something that we feel like we have an edge on. We have a strong competitive advantage and, and I feel very strongly that we are poised like Lee said at the beginning we, we need to see a lot more growth than uh, what we even, what we have seen so far and what we've done so far has been phenomenal uh, over the last three years and, and I think from a demand perspective we have a very strong data management and technology offering and that's important in the marketplace in terms of how carriers are interested in getting data into the cloud, organizing data there, running the models, figuring out efficient ways to load data, engineer the data into the cloud, and, and really build an entire sort of data ecosystem that is different. Previously, there used to be data in disparate sources. Now, once it's in the cloud, right. it's actually a lot easier to connect the data sources and uh, opens up a flurry of opportunities that... Uh, was a lot more difficult in the past, I would just say that, and, and usually prohibitive to even imagine, right? So connecting claims to pricing, to underwriting, to acquisition, to the web traversal history was almost an unimaginable business problem in the past, which is now within the realm of possibility and even companies are attacking it, right? So technologically, I think there's a lot more uh, advancement that has happened that is enabling EXL to support clients in that fashion. Uh, our teams are extremely strong and we are investing a lot in R&D and in partnerships that is enabling us to play a much closer strategic alignment role with the carriers. So I'm, I'm quite excited about the future and uh, what future holds for us. Well, we've really enjoyed having you because when we talk about InsureTech, we talk about an ecosystem and the ecosystem is made up of many different pieces and parts, not just the people who are developing technology, but the people who are using them and bringing them into the insurance practice and connecting all the dots, leveraging the data. And you guys certainly are, uh, EXL is certainly a critical piece of an example of a critical piece in that ecosystem. 
And so we're really glad that we had the opportunity to have you on and to talk about this other unique part of the ecosystem. So we appreciate having you on. And remember, send those free tickets. Just send them to my house. That's okay. And we'll come see you in India. Absolutely. We haven't been to India yet. FNO on the road to India. What do you think, Lee? I love it. Let's do it. Hey, listen, we'd love to host you here. The tickets don't even need to come to your house. They'll be digitally transferred. (laughs) Digital. Good call. Good call. Thanks, Raul. Appreciate having you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Lee, like I was just saying, the number of different points in the InsureTech ecosystem is vast. And, yeah, it um, is. Because it's not just the tools and the, the, the technologies, but it's the data that get fed into all that. Right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the data is so important. And in every part of InsureTech, you hear the word data, data scientist, you know, data. I mean, it's all so important. And here's this company who's out there, been around for a while now, and is really changing the way that insurance is done. Uh, they are an insured tech, I think, at their core. Um, I'd love to learn more about what they do in other verticals. I know that we're mm-hmm. an insured tech podcast. Right. Uh, but it seems, I mean, to have 4,500 data scientists working with them, I mean, they they do a lot. Most insured tech companies we have say, yeah, we got this guy or girl. They're a data scientist. <laughs> right. And he was like, you know, we have, they've got to be doing big, big work. I almost fell out of my chair. Me too. This, I wrote a it, note, 4,500. <laughs> It's like uh, here at Alacrity Solutions, our company, mm-hmm. I don't know that we have a hundred data scientists. Right. I don't, I don't know. I we, don't know that we, we might have, have to find that out. We might have to find that out. They maybe, uh, or maybe we want to start the data scientist division. Right. Or maybe there's 120 of them and we just haven't met them yet. Amazing story, amazing insights. And I love the international part of this that Rahul and his team are in India Agreed. And how critical a piece of the puzzle they are. And we thank him so much for being with us today. And thank you, as always, as a loyal listener to our crazy little podcast. And until next time, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>